0: what is up guys welcome back to meeting Up podcast the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning within their films we are back this year talking about our favorite directors of last year this is our official video of the top five directors of 2020 when we do this video uh, a couple years ago rb3 we usually do it on our parameters and our parameters are usually set around how we think a director Uh, kind of took over 2020 that's the term that we like to use took over the year dominated the year whether it's in conversation uh, whether it's in quality of film whether it's a small film that got a lot of love whether it's a big film that kicked ass um, those are kind of our parameters it's not necessarily which one made the most money or which one gets more critical acclaim it's the one that we feel that really took 2020 by the bullhorns and just rode that bull all the way (laughs) so either way we're gonna do our top five list uh i want to ask you guys how you're feeling about this list
1: i'm a little nervous uh i'm getting deja vu to when we did this last year and it was a lot of fun and i feel like last year was really easy for me we have a lot to choose from this year and i already know that there's probably going to be somebody that you guys say that i left off my list or someone in my honorable mentions who maybe in like a week i might actually put in my top five so i'm confident and i still love my list um but it's been a really really packed year of incredible direction just all over the board
0: how about you ob3 how are you feeling
2: um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this list. There's a lot of different directions I thought I could have potentially taken this list. Like, there's a version of this list where it could have just been all black people. There's a version of where it could have just been all black women. There's a version where it could have been, you know, all women directors. There's a version where, it, you know, there's all kinds of ways I could have thought about this list and made it. But you know, I'm glad I found an honest uh, way of of expressing the people who I think making a big impact in 2020 and will make a big impact going forward in their uh, directorial careers
0: that's kind of the best way to sum it up guys uh made a big impact on 2020 and will probably have a great future ahead of them uh yes me too i picked a list that is pretty weird if i'm being honest guys i did it on purpose because i didn't want to pick the same ones you guys picked so i tried to go a little bit kind of off balance i picked a lot of pop movies uh a lot of weird movies a lot of other stuff that might be in there as well Uh, Not necessarily the you know, the directors that did the best movies kind of thing, but I really try to do big budget movies, small budget movies, um, movies that have different genres in it, stuff like that. Um, And you will see that in my list. But as we always do, we are starting at number five and we are starting with the one and only Sabrina Ramirez. Sabrina, what is your number five of your top five directors of 2020?
1: all the pressure. Um, my number five is actually Charlie Kaufman,
0: uh, Mm. purely
1: subjective. I totally understand if this is not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm thinking of ending things is one of my top films of this past year. I think it's the one that had like the most emotional impact and like emotional weight besides a few others that I'll definitely be getting into, um, in this list. But for this weird, you know, like, distressing emotionally distressing in deep film and adapting a novel that is a completely different story almost he made this his own and that's something that i think is super super interesting and also when you think about charlie kaufman you don't really think about the films that he's directed and of course we have our charlie kaufman episode where we talk about all of that i think this kind of cements him as somebody to watch especially going forward in the future
0: yeah that's a that's a good choice I, was this his second Feature film, right? I believe third. this is... his Third? Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, second live record-
2: action film, though. You know, yeah. Yeah, the animated one in between. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like this one does in comparison to his other directed films i think this is
1: the best one i think i think synecdoche new york and anomalisa are both really special in their execution but i think this one's the one that's still really weird and you do have to think about and it's going to be incredibly divisive but i think it's the most palatable so far still not very palatable but i think most
0: yeah it's interesting because when you think kaufman you don't think direction so it's kind of interesting you went with this what do you think of this choice rp3
2: uh, yeah I mean you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Charlie Kaufman as well I mean I, you know I really love him thinking of ending things too um, I personally I personally do I personally prefer the key New York to to this one personally in terms of directorial efforts with that being said it was a uh, you know it's uncompromising for sure and I you know we love to see that from our directors especially if it's something like a Netflix original and I think you know we saw like a wide range of uh, cool performances in this movie too from. You know, Tony Collette to Jesse Clemens to, uh, of course, the main star. Jesse Buckley. Yeah, Jesse Buckley. So, um, you know, it, it was really, really fascinating and interesting. I think it was, I think he's definitely uh, a, a top tier uh, director, director of effort this year for sure.
0: Speaking of that, RB3, what is your number five director of 2020?
2: Well, my number five director of 2020 is actually something that I'm sure will be on your list, Andres, as well, and uh, and that is actually Andrew Peterson of The Vast of Night. Um, oh. I I loved I love loved the direction I saw in The Vast of Night. Um, to me, that was one of that. To me, that's a movie that really uh, exemplifies the beauty of direction, and when it comes to the way the camera moves to how super super low budget it was the fact that you could create this whole um science fiction story that's built around this alien invasion without even actually needing to show the alien ship or without even needing to have some sort of big visual effects like it's all through visual and auditorial communication and i think for that that's that's worthy of of of, of a, a claim for one of the best directors of 2020. Um, it truly truly moved me the way I, at, when I first saw that film. And Andres, you, you really put me onto that because I really hadn't heard of that movie until you told me about it. So uh, I really really enjoyed uh, Andrew Peterson's work. I know I'm sorry, Andrew Patterson's. I'm not sure if this is their directorial debut. I'm kind of looking yes. right now. Is their directorial it is. debut? So actually yeah. I actually do have a couple of directorial debuts on on my list. It turns out. Uh, but this is one of them, and this is something that really, truly moved me. So.
0: This is my number three, full disclosure. I think we can do this. Uh, we can jump <laughs> around. Uh, yes, this is my number three. I think this defines, like you said, RB3, a directorial debut. It defines it because it is sci-fi in one of the most bold ways you can do it. it it's such bold filmmaking in the sense of, I'm going to make a sci-fi movie about aliens all through dialogue. And camera movement. That's it. And it's that's a pretty bold move to do because that's not what makes sci-fi, sci-fi usually. But it's essentially all uh, dialogue driven. It's story driven, right? Because it's a guy over the phone telling a creepy story of a sci-fi story. And then it's an old lady a creepy old lady telling another creepy story about a sci-fi story and then that's kind of it and then everything else is just the way the camera moves around the story and around the dialogue that kind of drives this film and that's why to me it's such bold filmmaking because i'm just like when are we gonna see this stuff but we probably won't and like you said rb3 so low budget yet it feels high budget with the camera And the camera work is so high quality to the point that I feel like they just spent all the money on the camera work and were like YOLO on everything else. And I love, 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 love the natural lighting of it all because it's so, so, so like really, really well lit in the sense of like, you can barely see what's there, but it feels like that adds to the creepiness factor of it all. Uh, and I think this is one of the best directorial debuts considering we had so so many incredible directorial debuts this year, um, I don't know what you think of this one, Sabrina.
1: I, I love this one on the list. Um, actually, this is totally one that I forgot about. I yeah. Everything you guys said, I echo all of that. I love the fact how he took hold of that low budget and he was able to work around it within this story completely worked for me. Um, even just like the cast, the performances that we got, a lot of mm. these people are no names. I knew Sierra McCormick, uh, the main character from a Disney show back in the day. So it's just all, all different things like that. I feel like this film is so special. I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Zone and I really got those mm. Twilight Zone vibes from this. Uh, so I love that it's on both of your lists.
0: Yeah, I, I think this movie kicks ass and I really do feel like of it or a lot of it is with the direction um, which is kind of the point of this list is trying to pick directors that did that Um, All right, I guess it's my turn right for number 5 I gave my number 3 away because you took mine RB3 Um, (laughs) so we're jumping around here but I'll do my number 5 and my number 5 is already starting things off on a weird note Mm. I went with uh, Gina Prince uh, Bythewood. Bythewood? Um, Bythewood from The Old Guard uh, this is a, a weird choice because it is a you know big budget action movie and I don't necessarily put a lot of big budget action movies on my list but I feel like when it comes to having a first time action movie and this be your first action movie is so cool because you really tell how much she gets from this movie and how much she gets from directing this film throughout the action scenes, throughout the emotional scenes, throughout the characters, throughout the story, and the background of the story that we get. Because this story is an original IP in the sense that we haven't seen this in film before. So she gets to play around with it. You know, How do we tell the story of these five immortals who are going around the world trying to stop wars and trying to save people, um, and how badass they are, essentially. And we've seen a lot of healing factor kind of superhero type stories. Wolverine is an example. We get a lot of vampires who have the healing factor. So we get to use that to the full extent of it, which I think is really cool as far as like, what happens when you empty a clip into one of these guys and they're still standing and they keep coming. Uh, I think the action stuff you can get from that is really interesting. And the way she chose to direct it with the music choices Uh, With the way the camera moves, with the performances she got from the actors, I think it's one of the best action movies of 2020, Uh, and it's one of my favorite action movies of the year. And it's one of those things where directing an action film is so underrated these days, because there's so many of them, that I think directing a quality action film is something that's really tough to do, and I think she nails it. 100%
1: hundred um, percent. I I thought this was a really really great choice. This is something I would have loved to see in a theater, and I I'm excited because I I've, I've heard rumblings about um, Netflix actually greenlighting the sequel already. And I think this film perfectly stood on its own, but it definitely set up for like further further like diving into um, kind of like the mythos around it and everything yeah. that it set up. It was really interesting, and also like this is like a major. Like comic book film. This is something, and it's, it's, she did such a great job working with this huge story and being like, I think on it, I think I read an article that she was like one of the first black women to ever direct a huge comic book film. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, then she absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I can't wait to see what she does in the future. I mean, if they're gonna, if they're gonna be, um, adding really talented directors to the MCU, the way they did with like Chloe Zhao or other people like that. I would love to see Gina Prince Blythewood.
2: Yeah. And I know at one point she was rumored to like be attached to like a Spider-Man property at one point, um, to silver and black as well. I I would have loved to see seen that get made, but yeah, the Ogar was dope. It was a really cool adaptation of the source material. And I don't even know it was based on a source material. It just felt original. It just felt new and it just felt different. And adding that in the age of like, superhero movies especially for something that we're seeing on the small screen is very commendable and i think it's really dope because even what we see on the small screen even when we see it on a small screen it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel like less spectacle or less big it still feels like a dramatic and throughout enthralling story that you could still be invested in in the same way that you would be if you see like a wonder woman or something on screen as well so i thought it was really really dope in those ways too
0: yeah yeah that's why i chose it um already that moves on to our number four on your list sabrina what is your number four director of 2020
1: my number four director is eliza hitman who directed mm. never rarely sometimes always i had to put this one on the list i honestly wish it was higher but there were so many to choose from um i think never rarely sometimes always was the most powerful film of the year uh, I think I think there's an honesty and there's a reality to it that's presented on screen that you really need a talented filmmaker who is in love with this project, who's in love with these characters, who has an important story to tell. And that was Eliza Hittman with this one, because that titular scene is my favorite scene of 2020, the never rarely, uh, never rarely sometimes always moment that we get. Um, I just think the way she directed these young actresses, Sidney Flanagan, Like, that's that's one of the best performances of this past year. And a lot of, you know, when we talk about actors and we talk about the performances they give, they need a talented director to get them to this point. And for for someone as young as Sidney Flanagan to kind of knock out a lot of veteran actors this year um, in terms of performance, it's something unique and it's something special. And if I could sit everybody down and be like, you have to watch one movie that came out over this past year, it would be never rarely, sometimes always
0: yeah honestly this is my honorable mention on my honorable mention i was going to include it but the reason why i didn't sabrina is because i knew you (laughs) were going to uh and i really wanted to try and have variety on our list and not just have the same choices uh because i think that's a better uh viewing experience of a better listening experience but i really do feel like eliza hitman deserves to be on any list when it comes to top five directors of 2020 or top five films of 2020 to be frank because i do feel like you said it is one of the most powerful films of the year and that scene is one of the best films of the year and sydney flanagan is one of the best performances of the year and all that adds up to an incredible uh performance behind the camera Um, from eliza hitman directing this film and really controlling all the emotions and focusing on kind of the quiet storm that is going inside the Mm. character of sydney flanagan uh and 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 the quiet issues that she's going through and how she's digesting them internally and we could see that on film and that's really tough to do uh especially for uh, a young director like eliza and i think she kills it uh Mm -hmm. behind the camera as well any thoughts R 3
2: yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think she totally kills it when it comes to channeling the emotion of the situation, right? And it's not something that's, like, exploitative. It's not something that's, like, overly, like, dramatic or over the top or that as conflict in places that it doesn't need to be added. It just focuses narrowly, like, on... Not narrowly, but, it you know, it, it takes this uh, these issues and, you know, doesn't, like, make it some... It doesn't paint in some sort of way it just makes it human and relatable and understandable for people of all genders um and i really appreciate that i really think like you said the performances that were directed um from uh uh, uh miss uh flanagan what was yes
0: yeah. hitman flanagan. is a director yeah and then yes. sydney, sydney the actress, flanagan Flanagan.
2: Yeah. yeah um as uh yeah so it was just amazing overall i really really loved uh i really really loved. never really never rarely sometimes always and and you're right as it would it's also my honorable mentions too i would have also mentioned it but i too knew sabrina was going to mention it too so (laughs) yes
0: uh your number four be three
2: my number four so uh sticking on the trend of of women directors um again i i mentioned before i think i could have made a whole list um particularly of just black women directors too right and people you know like like Especially when we see a year of directors like Regina King and like Andres Pick, uh, uh, Gina Prince uh, bythewood and also uh, Tiana, I'm sorry, uh, T, uh Tierra uh, Tierra uh, Tierra uh, Risha Paris. And uh who directed uh Salid Salid in the in space, and also um Channing Goffrey Peoples who directed Miss Juneteenth. Like all really, really great directors coming out this year who were black women. Um, but for me personally, I'm I am am actually gonna um represent somebody who has been in a lot of like conversation lately. And it's actually a, a later pick for me because I've been trying to catch up and watch like a lot of movies for like the best of the year list, and um and this director. Um, directed uh, uh, one of the many black and white Netflix movies that came out this year between uh, Mank and Malcolm and Marie, and that's the director of um, of the 40 year old version, uh, Rahad Rahad Blank. Um, now uh, the 40 year old version, if y'all haven't heard of this movie, it's actually a, about uh, it's actually written and directed and starring like herself, like so she's playing like like a, a version of herself as like an aspiring playwright in like New York City but then uh, when, but you know, things are not going well, it's not necessarily hidden, right? So she actually turns to a career in rapping. Um, and it's actually like a really, really, really funny and creative and like wildly like sp- like spiritual kind of movie in a lot of ways. So I really, really ended up digging it. This is also a directorial debut. Um, this is something that I uh, I have been getting it recommended on my Netflix feed for a minute, but I hadn't really checked it out. But again, like I've been trying to like pile through a bunch of movies um, recently. And this is something that I just discovered, like literally, like a couple nights ago. And I thought it was, you know, it's it's funny. It 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 ends on a not so like, it ends on a little bit of like a not so satisfying note per se, you know. Or I I, I think I think it does, but it depends on how how you you know read these kinds yeah. of movies. But I think having something that represents older, um, you know, femininity femininity and still aspiring and chasing your dreams even at a at an older age is something that a lot of people can aspire to do and i just think that is is dope that it's in black and white and it and it's you know it's mostly shot in new york so it has that real like urban like raw like the feel and having like that writer director and actor kind of like feel to it too i think is just really really cool and special so and I want that to sounds
1: out. really really interesting i've actually never heard of that but um, I don't know Radha Blank's like life, but I mean, if the story is kind of like, it's loosely based on her and it's like a playwright, uh, whatever, this kind of sounds like it's one of those like moments that we've got over the past year where it's like a film that feels very so much like a play or even is based off of a play. So that's something I'm definitely going to be checking out. Um, it's a great choice.
0: Yeah, I'm also gonna be checking that out because I haven't heard of it as well. It's really interesting how many films Netflix has that we just haven't heard about. Uh, It's kind of remarkable how we always go throughout the year and we're just like, hey, you know, what a weird year in movies, right? And then we go back and we're like, oh crap, look at all the movies I
2: missed. Um, Yeah, well, people should should hear about this movie and people should hear about this director because she actually ended up winning um, the Sundance award for best director um, when this when this film came out and debuted at Sundance and also the film overall won the Vanguard award which is like the audience choice award at Sundance as mm-hmm. well so uh very very big on the fe- festival we're on in it, it, it got mentioned on like two top 10 lists including like the the uh, National Review best of year list uh, but it hasn't really gotten that uh, that much recognition so I just wanted to shout it out of course
0: that's a that's a that's a great way to get This these kind of movies more love. Um, all right, that moves on to oh, my number four, right? Wow, it's weird. Every time I go to me, I'm just like, what? I made a list? I did make a list. Uh my number four is another weird one, but again, this is kind of my theme. I'm trying to do things that is kind of against the grain and different. Uh I went with uh the thing that kind of took over 2020, at least in my circle, uh, and that's the last dance. Jason Heher, or Heher um, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, uh, yeah. directed one of the most viewed documentaries of all time. Uh, one of the most viewed documentaries, one of the most gripping documentaries, and one of the most, I think, important documentaries of this uh, last 20 years. I really do feel like the story of Michael Jordan is something that just goes over everyone's head because it's a name that's synonymous with brands now and i feel like the way we view brands is like okay sure jordan brand that's cool or basketball that's cool but jordan is more than basketball jordan has always been more than basketball and when you see this documentary you know what i'm talking about and the fact that it is you know an eight episode long series and at the same time an eight hour long movie because it's all pretty much just one film uh is really really well done and the way you can put this on a channel like espn which is something that is pretty much attached to any kind of cable platform or low quality cable uh is really cool because you can get more audiences that way this isn't on a premium network this isn't on stars or hbo this is on espn like you can watch this if you have espn which most people have and i think that's really important Um, and to me this is just A powerful documentary, a crazy documentary about one guy who's addicted to becoming the greatest of all time and accomplishing that uh, addiction and and really kind of questioning if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, What do you think, RB3? I know you have thoughts.
2: Yeah, 100%. And not only just... Going back to you said accessibility, not just being on ESPN, but also coming to Netflix right after that, too. That's right. It's also very streamable on Netflix, Netflix co production. But, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know how I feel about this. This is actually my favorite, like, piece of content, like, this entire year. Like, not even on movies or whatever. It's just, like, my favorite thing. Because I just think, for one, like, like you said, the direction is absolutely phenomenal with it, right? Like, and I think they, they found a way to do the sports documentary in a way that, like, isn't it's it's familiar but it isn't right like they took they did a lot of really interesting things that i feel are actually very director specific right and especially when it's like coming to him looking at the ipad or the other clips of of what people have to say about him like i think i've never really seen a documentary like really do that Never, before. yeah never. And that's, that's when what have
0: me. you ever seen a documentary become a meme
2: bro yeah yeah that's yeah. Multiple wild. memes, yeah and also the fact that you're taking a whole year over, what, 200 hours of footage, an entire NBA season that was recorded and just sitting on the shelf for 20-plus years and getting that footage back out and repurposing it into this 10-part, what, 10-hour documentary series. Like, that's incredible, too. Like, I always give a lot of credit to whenever directors have to take, like, that much footage and just bring it down into, like, a sizable matter and then still tell a story on top of that. So, um, and also, like, and I'm not trying to harp on this, on the greatness of this for too long but also like the timeline like the way it tells the story in these timelines right like it doesn't tell it like in a linear way It, it does like the flash forward and the flashbacks like it's just something that we never really seen before and i think it's dope that even though they had to finish it like during the pandemic like they literally finished the last two episodes like during quarantine or whatever um i just think you could just see like the quality and the care that they had towards making this series so i just really really loved it
0: yeah
1: i i I know about your guys's love for it i unfortunately haven't checked it out yet uh i really do want to there's still so many things to catch up for 2020 and i'm focusing on movies right now but i think because it's only like a few episodes so hopefully once i knock all that out i can finally check it out because you guys have been raving about it for so long
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it really is worth it if i'm being honest and it's one of those things too where i feel like a lot of documentarians, a lot of documentary filmmakers don't get the kind of love that they should get. And when you broke the internet and when you broke TV sets, you should get some love. Like my God, bro, like if you get that many viewers watching this thing, it should get a a mention uh, for filmmakers like Jason uh, creating this kind of movie and getting inside the brain of a guy who is known to be one of the most private guys on the planet, Um, one of the craziest guys on the planet too, Michael Jordan. Uh, and getting get him, him to
2: cry to, get him to cry Who get him saw to cry that yeah uh
0: getting him to get emotional about what, why are you so mean mike why are you so mean mike and he's like yeah, i am mean bro but i had to be <laughs> but it's real bro you felt it because it's one of those things where i just re-watched um not re-watch i just watched the tiger woods documentary uh and it goes to show you how the kind of people that To become the greatest athlete, you have to lose a little bit of yourself. And to become the greatest of all time, you have to lose a lot of yourself. Like you will lose yourself uh, in some sort of way. And you see that with Michael Jordan as well. Uh, And after that, it's one of those things where it's introducing the whole GOAT uh, concept, which I think is a word that always gets tossed out. But people don't remember that GOAT started with Michael, bro. He's the one who created that word. Greatest of all time is GOAT because of Michael Jordan. Uh, and I really do feel like he is the greatest of all time, especially after watching that, because you're just like, damn, six championships in a row. Whew, that's like impossible nowadays, man. Like even with super teams, even with James Harden and Kevin Durant's, and like yeah. all these like athletes put together on one giant like even now you can't do that because it's just yeah. too much it's way too yeah. much
2: and the fact that he won i didn't know see that's the thing i didn't even know a lot of this stuff about him before i didn't even know he won like mvp and like rookie of the year and like all this other stupid stuff like he literally won all every single award you could win even before even touching the championship like it's just kind of crazy yeah. i don't know
0: scoring titles too like it's yeah. Wild. yeah
2: yeah um
0: that moves on to uh your number three sabrina and then we'll do rb3's number three and then we'll go to break um because i already said my number three so your number three sabrina
1: yeah sounds good my number three is sam levinson so he is the creator of euphoria um mm. and the reason why this past year he has come out with two special episodes he came out with part one which is rue and part two for Jules, and i mean he's showing these characters like in ways that we haven't seen them before. He introduces new ideas because obviously Even if you're not into the show euphoria, if it's not your cup of tea, I completely understand. This is something completely separate because they did film this during quarantine. So we have, for Zendaya's episode, we have her in a diner talking to her sober mentor, uh, someone she looks up to, and they're just having a real, open, honest conversation about addiction. They're talking about the good. They're talking about the bad of life. They're highlighting and covering all these different topics, how their addictions or affected their family, um, and how seeking help has mended relationships or other relationships have been broken. It's just something very, very special. And then the next episode we have Jules and, um, that basically highlights you know that idea of identity because we're talking about a young trans woman and we're talking about through this entire process of getting to know her sexuality uh opening up to different people how it changes the way that she views herself and how she kind of goes back and forth um thinking about societal like standards and oh what is femininity what is masculinity how do you balance both these things and find your own path within what society kind of thinks something should be. And I think, and for her episode uh it's her sitting down in a therapist's office and the way they tell these stories we have sam levinson with his direction he's going to different moments he's he's uh showing dreams as she's talking to her therapist she's like i had this dream about moving to new york city and we get that glimpse of that it i think these are two of the most beautiful uh episodes of like television i've seen over the past year and they both recently just came out and also uh as as introspective and special as that is uh another one that i had to do it for malcolm and marie malcolm and marie was so interesting i think it was so bold um i don't i don't want to give like a full review because i know we'll definitely be coming out with that soon um but i think taking a script that, uh, Sam wrote in like two weeks, having Zendaya, uh, do her own hair, makeup, wardrobe, all of that stuff, and have John David Washington, the way he has these two actors interact such like heavy dialogue. Uh, it gets dark. It's surprisingly funny. And it's super critical of just art and Criticism in general. So I know this is going to be, it is already really divisive, but it's going to be probably more talked about once it actually comes out on Netflix. Uh, but I just thought it was really bold and super, super entertaining.
2: Thoughts, RB3? uh Yeah, no, I actually, I'm a huge like Sam Livingston fan, uh, Livingston fan. I'm, um, you know, I've said mo- multiple times how much of a huge Euphoria fan I am. And um, how much of the first, especially of the first season, especially of the fourth episode too, which, um, I believe he directed as well. Um, which is the one that explored like Jules's kind of beginning and like it had that like really excellent, like opening sequence with, uh, not excellent, but like, you know, exploring like, like Jules becoming like, you know, discovering yeah. like, uh, her identity. And then I felt this episode, the second episode was just came out last week. So this one, you know, it's a little more fresh in my mind but this one was really moving because it it felt, it it dealt with the idea of like codependency too, right? Like having a significant other who depends on you so much that is just dragging down all these other aspects of your life. You end up learning so much more about Jules and the relationship of her father and her like alcoholic mother and like all these things that, and I love that it takes you through the story of Euphoria season one, through Jules' perspective because it's all through, you know, Ruth's perspective. So you're mostly following Zendaya's perspective, but now it takes you back through those moments like, you know, just through Jules' perspective. And I think that's just really, really dope. I, I like it, filling in those gaps and adding those pieces to the story. Um, and even with uh, Rue's episode uh, herself, um, that was just absolutely beautiful, too. Again, I you know, I've talked about how One Night in Miami reminded me of, uh, like, um, My Dinner with Andre that we talked about. But that episode of you Euphoria also felt like that, too. Just two people just having that conversation. And they actually filmed it on 35mm film, so it had that, like, extra, like kind of feeling too. And I also commend Sam Livingston for that too, because out of, you know, the, the, the Jules episode, uh, the Rue episode and Malcolm and Marie, these are three movies that movies or TV shows that are all essentially just two people talking to each other, like the entire time. Like these are like the ideal quarantine kind of stories, right? Just a conversation between two people. And yet he still finds ways to make it compelling and interesting and funny. So I really, really dig Sam Livingston too. And I, I, I would have put on my list, That's probably an honorable mention for me too, but that's that's a really, really dope pick for sure.
1: I also want to give a quick shout out because Hunter Schaefer, the actress who actually plays uh, Jules is the one that wrote the script for the episode. So that's why like, yeah, yeah, co-wrote it. And that's Mm -hmm. like, that's just so interesting because she kind of talked about it in an interview that she worked with Sam on that. And she wrote like the first draft of it uh, when she was going through a lot. So Mm -hmm. I think that's why we get all this like raw emotion and authenticity to it.
2: Yeah, and, 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 um, and it's beautiful. If you watch like, it on HBO Max, they give you like a little behind-the-scenes documentary and they talk about it too. And that's also what I loved about that the jewels episode too because the Rue episode felt a little bit more like just a two conversation, like in this restaurant, in this diner, you don't really leave. But this episode felt better because it had like dream sequences, nightmare sequences, mm-hmm. flashbacks, flash forwards, like, had all these really cool elements that felt more moving and cinematic to me
1: and adding adding that idea with her mother and what she experiences with that and something that's how we didn't see that in the first season because she hasn't told rue and since we have rue narrating the first season she didn't mention that and then we have the parallel between her mother's alcoholism and then kind of her relationship with that versus like hers with rue and how she won't tell rue about her mom and she can't tell her about a piece of herself because she's nervous she thinks that she's going to feel the same way um, about rue as she does her mom and I don't know. All those, all those ideas. I just, it's so, so interesting. Even when we have that opening and this is where they got me immediately where I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, it's just on Hunter Schaefer's eyes. And then you have like, you see their ruse and Jules' entire relationship on her eyes and it plays liability by Lord and it plays the entire song. I was just like, all right, one of my favorite songs of all time, one of my favorite albums of all time and just a beautiful shot um, that's telling us so much.
0: Yeah, obviously, I want to check it out. Uh, I've been meaning to check it out. There's so much on my list. It's kind of insane. But, yeah, it sounds yeah. incredible. Uh, that's a great choice. Uh, RB3, your number three.
2: Well, my number three, uh, going off of your documentary uh, pick, uh, Andres, um, where you picked uh, the document. Which documentary did you pick again? Last Dance. Last Dance, absolutely. Um, this is very different than Last Dance, I must say. Uh, this is another... Uh, Last second option that I'm, I'm, I'm picking up here, too. Um, be, uh, prepping for our best of the year list. And, um, and while there's a lot of great documentaries, including another black and white film called Time that I saw recently. That's a great documentary on Amazon Prime about uh, prison, industrial, the prison uh, and, and incarceration and all that. Uh, this documentary that I'm highlighting today is Boy State. And that's from the directors um, Jess Ross and Amanda McVine. Now, I don't know if y'all I don't know if y'all seen Boy State or if y'all heard yeah, of Boy State. I, I told you about it, bro. <laughs> you didn't tell me about Boy State. That's right. That's right. Sometimes people told me about Boy State too. But man, that movie is incredible. I just saw it yeah. and it's like absolutely mind-blowing. The idea, if you don't know about this movie, this the idea of having a there's like every state has like this camp where they invite 1,117-year-old 1, boys and make them stay for a week and have them organize their own government and elect their own, like, politicians, their own state congresspeople, their own governor, their own mayors in their own towns. And it's insane. And and um, and um they do it, you know, they have a boy state and they also have a girl state. And I would really, really, really love to see a girl state, by the way, too. I would really love to see that. But this boy state one, especially making this one set in Texas, you just see the forest of right, like, ideologies yeah. just exuded by, like, these 17-year-olds, especially when it's... Yeah. The fact that it's called Boy State and the most active thing they're debating throughout the entire thing is like abortion is mm-hmm. absolutely nuts. It's insane. Um so like for one, it's really it's really difficult to make political documentaries that don't lean in like a one direction or another. And I felt like this I felt like Boy State did a really good job of like not particularly leaning towards a particular side. Um they did they did definitely portray because there there's two they show basically two um size running against each other they show like the progressive m- more candidate with the steven um Gomez, uh, i'm sorry the steven i'm making the same mistake that the dude made in the movie and um, they have the steven guy running as the progressive and they have the other guy who's like eddie who's like the ben shapiro lookalike running as like the super far right guy on the other side and you just follow that whole story building up and it I literally felt like I was literally invested like myself. Like I was like, come on, Steven, come on. You can do it. You got it. Like I was literally just holding my breath and so much so that the exact movie, this the exact moment, this movie ended, I went to all other people who I liked in this movie and just followed them because I felt like no this way. is the first time I actually saw a documentary a political documentary because a lot of times political documentaries are about the past or conspiracy theories or they're about the present and like the doom and gloom of the present but this is the first time I actually saw a political documentary that got me thinking about the future and got me thinking about what's going to happen next and what's going forward and is this scary seeing like how crazy a lot of these boys were absolutely but it did give me hope and assurance that there was one kid who rose up pretty far to the top with the aid of a lot of other like other kids in that boy's states thing too that helped them along with it actually rise to the top and get and 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 become a popular figure in that thing so i really really dug it i really enjoyed it and i just i you know for a political junkie like me like it just really felt like a good mixture of cinema and politics while being compelling too so
0: it it really is an example of one everyone says and i've always said this because i really do feel this and i think you know, a lot of people might be against me, but when they're, everyone is like, yo, this new generation, they're all great. They're all progressive. And I'm like, nope, (laughs) that's not true. Uh, go watch this documentary. Like 900 out of the 1000 boys are all hard, 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 right. Uh, because that's the way they're raised and that's what they believe. And they're all one mind one perspective one point of view and like you said rb3 when you get the 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 goofy mexican kid coming in and being like yo what up guys let's let's do something different man it's not it doesn't all have to be right and when they start to a lot of them start to get behind him you start to kind of cheer for him where he's kind of converting a lot of like hardcore republican right wingers to his side and i think it's hysterical because it shows you it reminded me of like the old school mentality of politics right where it's like if i have a good enough platform and a good enough personality i can get republicans and democrats on my side and he's able to pull mm-hmm. a crap ton mm-hmm. of right wingers and republicans on his side and it's pretty remarkable if you think about it um but at the same time most of it in my opinion is still pretty much like hey here's a bunch of 17 year olds like yeah basically worshiping trump and you know, talking about stuff that they shouldn't be talking about.
2: But I, I, this again, I really want to see the girl state. Like, I really, really want them to do the girl state documentary. I really want to see what's going on on that side.
1: Like, I've never heard of, I've heard of boy state, but I didn't know what it was about. And I never heard of the fact that this is real, that they, in every single state that they do this. I had absolutely no idea. They show,
0: they show past real politicians. Yeah. Like Cory Booker. Clinton.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Bill Clinton, uh, 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 Dick Cheney, um george bush yeah literally big time like real politicians all went through this thing like
0: it's basically like boot camp for for wannabe politicians Mm -hmm. um it's really interesting but obviously you know everyone should check it out either way guys that is our list for now we're gonna go to break real quick when we come back we're gonna go with our top two directors of 2020 so make sure you guys stick around
2: This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the 4 fifth, divide you in half. You getting at me equals a clubhouse. You you do the math, take you out the equation.
3: What's going on First Cut fam, Paulo Yama here, I'll essentially be operating as First Cut's uh, Sundance correspondent this year, just wanted to give you a little heads up on some films to keep on your radar as the weekend goes on. Uh, one is Prisoners of the Ghost Land, this is a post-apocalyptic genre movie from a beloved Japanese auteur Sion Sono. Uh, Nicolas Cage stars in this, it might not be a similar movie but it kind of gives me the same energy as Mandy from a couple years ago. Um, next one is Passing. This is uh, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. It's an adaptation of Nello Larson's novel, and it explores things like gender, sexuality, and class in the 1920s. Stars Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga, sounds really interesting to me. Um, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This is legendary musician Questlove's directorial debut about the Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place concurrent with Woodstock in summer of 69. Uh, A lot of this is new footage, people like Stevie Wonder, Herbie Mann. Um, on the count of three, this is Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut, um, starring him and Christopher Abbott about two friends who make a pact to end their lives at the end of their day. Um, early buzz has this compared to something like the Safety brothers. So that sounds fascinating. I think keep an eye out for that one. And then cusp, which is this documentary about three teenage girls in Texas, um, a lot of early buzz has this kind of comparative mining the gap. It seems like it's, you know, this big linchpin year in their lives. So I think all of those are really ones to keep your, keep an eye on as, the, as Sundance goes on this year. And uh, yeah, if you want to keep track of everything that's coming out. Um, You know, just look up my name on Letterboxd. I'll be logging all the stuff that I want. Y'all, Andres here.
2: Hey, what's up y'all, it's RB3.
1: Sabrina here to talk about First Cut's Patreon. Yes.
3: That's right,
0: now you get to be a part of the First Cut community, as well as support us individually, RB3, Sabrina and I, and get access to exclusive content all at the same time.
2: First Cut really began with the meaning of podcasts. That started with myself and Andres Cabrera way back in 2017.
1: A little over a year ago, they added me on and What we really do is just champion diverse voices behind the scenes, in front of the camera.
2: Since we started our YouTube channel, First Cut to House, our podcast, and we've been growing ever since.
1: This time last year, we crossed over a thousand subscribers on YouTube, and now we're just a few hundred away from hitting 4K.
2: With access to more monetary resources, we're able to hire another editor, we're able to hire more help, and we're just able to promote the show better in general.
0: So let's run down exactly what you would get on the First Cut Patreon
1: to get access to the First Cut Discord server and we're really excited to be able to have another platform to engage with you guys, to talk about whatever. We're gonna have so many different channels
0: Now our next tier is gonna be our colorist.
2: Video essays are a promise that we made at the very beginning of First Cut that we never really had the opportunity to live up to until today.
1: And the next tier is visual effects.
0: Now we've always wanted to do movie commentaries here at First Cut, and we finally have the opportunity to do it.
2: Up next is our sound editor category.
1: And this tier includes everything from the previous tiers, but also a monthly Patreon exclusive live stream. And the next tier is the post-production supervisor.
2: We are making this tier our access point for our behind the scenes content next up we have
0: our composer you get to be in a virtual hangout with rb3 sabrina and i that means you officially get to hang out with us
1: and then of course we have the final tier which is the director
2: you could be a part of the first cut crew occasionally on this tier where you can actually be a part of some of our episodes if there's something that you're really 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 passionate about that you want to talk about with us on the meaning of podcast This is the tier that you want to be at.
1: We are starting Patreon so we can expand and produce more content for you guys to enjoy. I'm super, super
2: excited to see what 2021 has in store for us, which is why this First Cut Patreon is coming. And whatever way you can support, please do. Again, it's patreon.com slash First Cut Studios. Check out our new website on geeksofcolor.co slash first dash cut. To check out our reviews, our videos, and articles that pertain to everything First Cut related. Check it out. Come along,
0: children. Now we're going to have a little music. What is up, guys? We are back talking about our top five directors of 2020. Now we've gotten to our top two, which means Sabrina, was your number two?
1: So you guys know I had to do this. Uh, I think a lot of people are gonna have this person at the top of their list for this year, and so I have Chloe Zhao. Chloe mm. Zhao for Nomadland. Mm. Uh, so I actually, this is the first Chloe Zhao film that I've ever seen, and I think this was such a poetic beautiful character study it's obviously it's talking about these group of nomads and it's it's real like people live in their vans they travel they live off like the land they live on different retreats it's just really interesting to get this glimpse into a world that i am so unfamiliar with especially because obviously um with our main character played by francis mcdormand in an incredible performance uh by the way uh, with our main character, her husband had passed away. She was working in a certain place, like the the recession hit. And, you know, this is kind of highlighting that idea of like the downtrodden. Um, and it's fascinating because I think, like we said, a great director pulls great performances from everybody that's in front of the camera. And they mix real life people, real life nomads in with like Francis McDormand. So um, I think it almost like plays like a documentary in that way where it just... The authentic nature of the execution is kind of what I think makes this work so much and makes us invested. Uh, it's really interesting to hear these monologues um, from the other characters. And you have to like wonder, like, is this is this real? Like, did this person have this kind of experience themselves or is there are they just pulling a great performance? It's like it's interesting to kind of have that conversation and think about that. but. Um, yeah i mean highlighting something like this that i think is so interesting and so unique and so special especially when we're talking about like the heartbreak behind it some people are forced into something like this some people choose them choose it for themselves um i think the highlight i don't want to give too much away but the highlight was one of the characters who was actually sick uh the whole time and and it's just like so incredibly earth-shattering and heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. I was getting like Terrence Malick type of vibes uh, with a lot of moments in this film. And I just think, Chloe Zhao is a director to look out for, especially for the future. I'm gonna catch up on the rest of her films. But also something I found to be very interesting is that the original release date for Eternals was actually supposed to be 2020. So we would have gotten also another film uh, from her in this time period. And so I'm excited to see, whenever that ends up getting released, I'm excited to see the way that shapes up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen Nomadland, so RB3, if you have any thoughts
2: um well yeah i mean speaking of uh you having chloe's i was your number two Chloe i was actually my number two, Oh, there you um, go um <laughs> for uh for for my best of uh directors of list yeah uh you pretty much said like word for word literally everything i was gonna say sabrina um beautifully like this film you know beautifully evokes like naturalism and and like you said the mixture of like documentary and you know fiction it kind of like blurs that line a little bit i personally for me personally it really got me thinking about like the idea of like meta realism, right? Like how I talk a lot about how, you know, there's like waves of cinema, like, you know, uh, modernism, postmodernism, and how in this era, we're kind of like in a meta modernism era. I feel like this is an example of like meta realism where it's like, it takes a real thing. Like, you know, it really puts Francis McDormand as a real nomad, but then you're just documenting it from like a fictionalized perspective of some actors in there. And like you said, all the performances are great. You can't even tell what was who was a real actor who was not a real actor. It just all felt very real and authentic. Um, and like you said too, the scenery was beautiful, very Terrence Malick-esque, like very naturey-esque. It literally caused me to like look for her like other films as well uh, to try and find because uh, it just like I, I love seeing like that kind of wide landscaping approach that like uh, appreciates appreciates and soaks in the beauty of nature. I feel like that's what makes like cinema very unique. And also I think it's dope that she also edits her own films too. Like, you know, there's not a lot of directors who does, who do that. Mm-hmm. And um, you can really tell like there's real care and precision to what we see all throughout nomads uh, land. And that's absolutely one of my top favorites of the year. And it's, it was really a truly transcendent experience when I watched it. So I really dug it.
0: I really want to see it for sure. And obviously uh, Chloe Zhao has got a lot of love in the past. I know she did a movie called the writer, um yes. that got a lot of attention for yeah. sure it sounds a lot i haven't seen this movie guys obviously but it sounds a lot like the florida project um as far as like getting a kind of actor who kind of blends into the world uh, and who feels like that is a part of that community um and get, making it feel very natural with that so i'm excited to check that out rb3 what's your number two
2: that's my number two chloe's out that is my your number two, two. I, yeah. you just said that
0: uh, yeah i guess it goes to my number two Um, My number two is probably the most obvious choice you guys can possibly imagine. Uh, You guys know I was gonna do it, but I had to do it because I really do feel like it was that good and no one else talked about it. And I really do feel when it comes to direction, filmmaking is the music, the score, the combination of the visuals, the acting, the performances you got. Alex Garland is my number two because I really do feel like Devs is a film. It it, it is a, a super long film, but it's a film that he wanted to direct Uh, And that FX was like, yeah, we'll give you the budget, make it a miniseries, make it one story uh, and make it like range from the idea of technology and the power of technology and the danger of that, the idea of technological companies and how much power they have and how they can be like egomaniacs or psychos and they have this much power and control over crazy amount of technological advancement. Uh, set it in the city of San Francisco, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world and is one of the most heavy, technologically advanced cities as far as Silicon Valley, as far as we get from video game companies, uh, as far as what we get from Google, which I think this this movie is essentially uh, pointing towards Google. And at the same time, have the, conflict, uh, the conflicted of Russia, America, China... Uh, and those three superpowers that are actually fighting over this technology, this is real technology, obviously not the whole, you know, simulated world, but the, the supercomputer is a real thing. Um, and the, the one who's winning right now is China, funny enough, in real life, I've been keeping up with it. But that kind of real world stuff inside this sci-fi craziness of it all is really, really, really cool and really well done. So that's why Alex Garland is my obvious number two.
1: <laughs> I actually had uh Alex Garland on my list and then I switched him out with Charlie Kaufman. I kind of figured he was going to be on your list, yeah. but he is in my honorable mentions for devs. Um I just think Alex Garland we did our the meaning of episode early on mm-hmm. in quarantine about him that was one of my favorite episodes that we ever did because we only had a few to talk about and then we talked about devs on a separate occasion but i just think he's a an incredible science fiction director like he's able to take these stories like you said where not everything is 100 percent realistic but since it's also grounded in reality it also it like feels that way and it i don't know it's just so interesting what he did with ex machina annihilation and then now this one um i yeah, Devs was incredible.
2: R B three. Yeah, no, uh, a hundred percent. Yeah, Alex Garland is definitely an honorable mention for me, as well. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really love, um, I didn't really love, uh, not Annihilation, um, the one that we talked about with Oscar Isaac and, um, oh. X Machina. Oh, X Machina. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love X Machina like all that much. Um, I did enjoy Annihilation a lot more. Um, but I did feel like Devs was like by far his best directorial effort, um, and I felt like it gave a lot of time, like flesh out the story, and I think it blended a lot of genres. Like it's, it's, it's almost like a foreign espionage thriller mixed with uh-huh. you know some heavy drama, um, heavy technological drama. There's some times where it feels like an action movie almost. Um, so you really get a lot of layers to the story, and I just I just loved I just loved all the performances. Nick Offerman in this uh, playing like this like uh, you know. Silicon Valley oligarch kind of figure um, really pulled it off like both with like softness and sensitivity, but also like that, like pure, like evilness and unseedy, like unsettlingness. you could kind of see under his eyes too. It just all felt really, really, really special. So I, I really appreciate devs as well.
0: And obviously you said Offerman did that performance, which is true, but also Sonoyo uh, Mizuno. Um, yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. who who killed it in her role, her first big major role. Obviously, she's been in a lot of Alex Garland stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. She was also in Crazy Rich, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Um, But I really do feel like she killed this specific role, which required a lot of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And someone who is a former dancer who just jumped into acting. I think she absolutely killed it in this performance. Yeah.
2: And people want to read my review for devs on Geeks of Color. Be sure to check that out in the description down below.
0: And we also have a spoiler thing, too, on our First Cut channel. That's
2: right. That's right. Yeah. We do have a whole spoiler in-depth uh, discussion and yeah. our meeting of Alice Garland. So it's all there. What's up?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because it, looking back at my spoiler thing, I stand by everything I said because I really do feel like there was some crazy uh, religious overtones that he was hitting in, in mm-hmm. devs that I think mm-hmm. no one else wanted to discuss. So I was like, F it, I'll do it uh, just cause I yeah. caught it. And I was like, yo, this is much religious overtones. I have to touch on it. Uh, but it really is fascinating too. When you think of like end of the world, beginning of the world, God level type stuff. When you start to realize like when your concept of God starts to grow and grow and grow and grow and, grow, and you start to realize how much you can get from this technological advancement. And that's why the character of Nick Offerman starts to almost you know, elevate himself to a god level where he does feel like he is god, like a lot of these companies actually do act. So that's why I thought yeah. it was pretty relevant. Um, so yeah. that's my number two. Either way, we are finally at our number one. Sabrina, what is your number one director of 2020?
2: Well, should Mike. we do audible mentions first before we? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry.
0: See, RB three. Look at you, bro. You yeah. you took the wheel from my hand and <laughs> Nah, my bad. Did I'm it. Not, I didn't
2: I didn't take any wheel from. Ah, uh, anybody's hand. my bad. Uh, Jesus, take the
1: wheel. No, 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 no I'm kidding. Take any, him. Oh.
0: Any honorable mentions from you guys?
1: Oh, yeah, I have a bunch. Uh, I'll just kind of list them off, but Emerald Fennel for uh, Promising Young Woman, Regina King, Spike Lee, of course. Spike Lee, it absolutely broke Taking my heart my. to get this list. <laughs> and then also one more, George C. Wolfe for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I don't mm-hmm. think people talk about mm-hmm. enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll echo real quick. Uh, Regina King... Uh, is definitely in my honorable mentions as well. And as well as you said, her name is Emerald Fennel. Fennel. Emerald Fennel, who plays uh, Camilla in The Crown. I still can't get over it, guys. I'm sorry, as a crown stand that I am. Uh, She plays Camilla in The Crown. uh, And she's a writer and a director. And she's just so talented. Uh, Shout out to her for Promising Young Woman
2: yeah yeah uh i mean also uh i guess i'm also giving regina king a shout out for honorable mention uh too i, I mean, thought you
0: guys were gonna include her so that's why I, I, I thought y'all did. were gonna include I thought her you too. Were... Yeah,
2: yeah i, <laughs> I, 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 I waited uh, for y'all uh, sorry about that my bad um yeah shout out to regina king shout out to david fincher uh mank even mm-hmm. though mank wasn't the greatest uh ever i still really enjoyed it uh charlie kaufman is also an album mention. christopher nolan for tenant um Christopher also Nolan yeah definitely yeah because that's some directing right there you that's can't, some you can't, directing you yeah. can't deny that's not if you don't even oh, no. like Tenet, that's some directing that's going on in there oh yeah. Ooh. Um, yeah. and then yeah. uh of course uh I also wanted to Ken Powers was actually real close Ooh, to getting on uh yes. this list too because not only for uh directing Soul but also writing uh One Night in Miami like the actual play um so yeah those are my uh, honorable mentions
0: who was the co-director of Soul Pete Doctor. Pete doctor. P doctor. That's yeah. the guy I was thinking yeah. of for sure. And
2: behind the greats of, of of Pixar, I personally feel like uh, Inside Out and uh, and uh, a couple others too, if I'm not mistaken. So,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Your number one, Sabrina.
1: My number one is Steve McQueen, and I feel like all of our number ones might be Steve McQueen. Wait, so. is your number
0: one Steve McQueen? Rb three. My number one is Steve McQueen. <laughs> My number one is Steve McQueen. We did not plan this, guys. <laughs> hey,
2: look what we're doing. If, bah, 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 bah. To be
0: fair, Sabrina, I'll let you go. But I feel like this is the only choice, the obvious yeah. choice. I really do feel like what he did with Small Axe is uh, filmmaking in a whole, is directing in a whole. So go ahead, Sabrina.
1: Yeah, I mean, whichever way you put it, whether you consider small acts to be five separate films, which you consider it to be a film series, or you consider it to be like a mini series, regardless, these are some of the best films, shows, episodes, whatever, of the entire year. It's one of the best cinematic experiences, sheds light on racial bias in the UK, which is something that we never see on screen, um, but they have experiences the same way we do, and they're still fighting for that. So the fact that we get kind of this like voice champion throughout these films, um, I think is something really special. And he gives so much care to these stories. If you listen to him speak about it, he says like, oh, like something like Lover's Rock. I've been to parties like this. I was like a little kid. I was holding people's jackets. I was helping people out like that. And just, so how how near and dear to his heart this is, I just think is so special. I think technically they're incredible. Some of the shots are one of, some of my favorites of the entire year. It's just like, I, I don't think we can speak on it enough how important and incredible um, this was. And I kind of just figured that it was going to be all of our number ones, because like you said, this is genuinely, this is the choice for best director.
0: Yeah, RB three
2: yeah no i i 100 i 100 percent agree and i think these what made the, the him feel um th- what made this feel very very good to me is that the very very sorry let me start that over i'm adding all that up what made what made Steve mcqueen uh my best director of t- 2020 is that all these films like were about historical things but they all felt like very personal right they all felt like they're coming from a place of telling personal history of, of I'm relaying a personal culture that hadn't been highlighted before. And, you know, when I think of the, the films individually, like Mangrove, um, still remains one of my favorite movies in the entire year. Again, I love courtroom dramas and I love, you know, highlighting stories that I probably wouldn't have known nothing about. And that's definitely an example of one of them. And, you know, especially when it comes out directly, and I hate to keep saying it, but it comes out directly next, close to something like Trial of Chicago 7. And you see what... The, uh, a courtroom movie looks like from like a, you know, kind of like a writer's perspective, like from Aaron Sorkin versus what it looks like from a director's perspective, like Steve McQueen. And there's just a difference, you know, and I, I could tell that difference and I personally love it. And then you look at something like Lovers Rock and this mixture of music and culture and just the vibe, you know, the, you know, it's, it's rare when a, a, a film could just capture a vibe, but that's definitely what it does. Um, and I think it's just a really, really rewatchable entire thing. And just, honestly the entire small lack cinematic universe um in general uh and i call it cinematic universe jokingly yeah. but it actually does tell individual stories but still tell a collective whole as well and i think that's really really spectacular and also not to mention steve mcqueen also is getting top tier performances out of john boyega from red white and blue one of i think probably john boyega's best performance i have personally seen them in um Excuse me. And also uh, Letitia Wright and, and Mangrove, Sean Parks, um, and even the younger actors like the, the young man we saw in Education and also Alex Wendell. Also really, really good, strong acting all across the board. So I really, really enjoyed everything about these films.
0: Yeah, it's obviously when it comes to filmmaking, Steve McQueen really does dominate in this series. And, and like you said, man, they're all different, but they all... Uh, communicate a similar message, a similar theme. But I, I really like the energy of each and every one of these films. And by energy, I really do feel like each character exemplifies a different personality, a different style, a different background. Obviously, when we start out with Mangrove, we get to see obviously the brutalness of what they're confronting, but also the beauty of their culture and their people and their food and their and their music, um, their power, their grace. Their, their intelligence of able to being able to defend themselves in court uh, inside the British system, to me is something that's also uh, beautiful as well. And I think Steve McQueen captures that so well in Mangrove, going to that, to Lover's Rock uh, and capturing the beauty of the music there and the, the atmosphere that's inside there, I think is a really uh, powerful thing you can, do, you can do through a camera. Uh, And I think he does that so well. And obviously throughout the entire series, when we get to Alex Weedle and we get to even more uh, really tough scenes, I think he nails it really well. I focused on the scene in Alex Weedle when it comes to the slow tracking shot, uh, the slow dolly up when he's tied up and they tie him up in school to show kind of the brutalness of what's going on and how that kind of puts him into a really negative mental state. Um, Each and every one of these films does something different and it does it so well, and yet it still has one central core that is driving it, which to me is just so powerful. It really is like filmmaking 101, man. Like you can teach these in school, Mm. in film school. It really is that good.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's, it's completely underrated that people just aren't taking the time to check this out, but it's so easily available on Amazon Prime. And yes, it's five films most of them are like an hour so you can genuinely knock these out um just like over a few days check them out um i think it's something really impactful and important and like we said like each of these are so unique and special to themselves so even if one interests you more than another check it out like rb3 said mangrove is one of the best movies of this entire year you cannot miss out on something like that. Lovers Rock is a whole experience, like visually, audibly, everything. Um, I just think Steve McQueen did such an incredible job with this, and yeah.
0: RB three, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'm really, really glad that you know we've we've been fortunate to highlight like these films and and this entire series like on this channel. I'm glad we're highlighting Steve McQueen as a director here because I, I really do feel like. Um, these are some bold, um, things that, that he's doing on television and, you know, shooting on 35 millimeter film for, uh, uh, a lot of these episodes, making it feel, you know, having these big period pieces and, you know, there's scenes in like mangrove and Alex Weedle. They're like big crowd scenes. I'm sure weren't cheap. So shout out to BBC one and shout out to Amazon for also allowing that to be made too. But I really enjoy telling these stories of you know police brutality or dysfunction in the education system or uh you know or discrimination um or just vibing all that evokes like these universal black troops even from across the pond so i really really dig it all across yeah. the board.
0: either way guys that has been our top five directors of 2020 i am still blown away that we all agreed on our number <laughs> one that's so cool we yeah. used to do this back in the day when we used to make our like what's our best actor or best uh director of the year and we would all try to come to a consensus and as different as we all are we all agree that steve mcqueen took over 2020 with the small act series we really do feel like that's the best thing we've seen all year when it comes to direction uh so that is our list guys thank you so much for watching sabrina where can everyone find you
1: You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SabrinaXMonica and then also on Twitter at SabrinaOnFilm.
2: RB3. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram
0: at DirectorRB3. I'm Race, guys, and make sure to follow us at First Cut TMO right here for more film coverage. Uh, Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Like this video, leave a comment, let us know what your top five directors are in the comments down below. Uh, Also follow us on Patreon if you want to give us some love over on Patreon. We have different tiers for you to jump into. Uh, That's a quick little way for you to get involved in the First Cut community as well. Either way, guys, for the Meeting of Podcast and for the First Cut crew, peace out. Peace.